and uh yeah and kelly's a really good paddler so sometimes he's all the way out the back and you think there's no way he's going to catch it so you just kind of start paddling in front of him and then sometimes he gets a little further than you think he does and then sometimes you you might accidentally kick him in the face when you just go to try to paddle into that wave and welcome back to the drop this is your interim host michael saramella I know last week I might have misled you guys a little bit. I said I was Danny Johnson. I'm sure you all believed me. Um, unfortunately, that was not true. I just I felt really nervous and insecure coming on to his show, and I just thought, you know, if I could just be him, maybe you guys would like me a little bit more. Um, I'm really sorry, though. I feel like I've led you astray. And as a result, on top of admitting that sin, I'm going to have to admit my own surf sin later in this episode, so stay tuned for that. But other than that, Buck and I are also going to discuss uh, the most influential surfers of 2021. We have 21 of them. Uh, We're also going to get into the Stab Surfers of the Year. I'm going to have an interview with Sam McIntosh, Stab's founder, to discuss uh, how this whole process works, why he started the project to begin with, and... Uh, basically who is going to be the stab surfer of the year in 2021 Um, we're also going to talk about robert kelly slater and his incredible 50 years of life and the fact that we have a photo for each of them uh among other things like potentially an e-bike ban in san clemente so stay tuned and we're going to go into the drop right now all right you are not danny johnson that you fooled me last week. You lied to my face. Yeah, I'm I'm really sorry, Buck. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I kind of thought you might have been tipped off because I was recording just around the corner from you. But, um, yeah, I guess I was pretty good at selling the whole Australian thing. Yeah, see, I still think it's like with Danny, he never has the pants on. That's our thing. And with you, it was the shirt. And I should have been able to identify a difference, but it, I just let it slip and... Yeah, here we are, but we're we're starting anew this episode, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, if you'll have me, and, and I apologize again, so if you can accept that and we can move forward, I'd really appreciate it. I do, I do. We're coming up on the new year. Um, this is going to drop, I think, New Year's Eve. So, new year, it's a time to reflect, a time to accept, and it's a time to move forward. So, yeah, no, we're good. Okay, thank you. We're good. Want to rip straight into it. Uh, I don't know any other way. All right, let's go. Top story this week. Dane Reynolds made a Stab-exclusive Mikey February edit. And it's really good. Is this the one I got on my inbox on Christmas Day? This is the one that you and every other Stab Premium subscriber got in their inboxes on Christmas Day. It was a little Christmas present. We um, we wanted to try something, and we wanted to see who's uh, actually reading their email on Christmas Day. But we wanted to make it a little surprise, so we sent an email and launched this clip a week ago, but only that way. The only way you could access it was if you opened your email and saw it. And now on Saturday, we are going live with it everywhere and by everywhere i mean to stab premium subscribers but it'll be on instagram it'll be on the home page it'll be everywhere you normally see it not just your email and it is a great film that is exactly as advertised mikey feb by dan reynolds and i want to get into that but first i want to 
ask you, how is the open rate on this? And by that, I mean to say, how many people were just straight up neglecting their families to watch Mikey February surf on Christmas Day? Over a thousand. So thank the a thousand of you for being absolute degenerates and just being like, ah, oh, no, presents, uh, hold on, I'm going to need nine minutes. <laughs> I got this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the bathroom. Yeah, just hold on, I'll be out soon. <laughs> no, it's just he's really stylish. <laughs> um, no, so at least a thousand people just read their email. And was like, okay, yeah, no. Instead of being a Christmas person, I'm gonna just watch this edit, and it's kind of worth it. I mean, families will always be there for you, but. M-Feb clips by Dan Reynolds, they don't come around that often, do they? No, and it's a bit of a, a mix as well. Like, this is, so for, I guess, further context, this is from the same trip that Mikey and Dane did down to Mexico for Surf 100, which you may or may not have seen. Mikey almost won. He was winning until the, like, dying seconds. Um, but basically, Mikey and Dane, I think, went down there for, like, a week. So this is all the footage that was from outside of that event, and it's obviously them surfing point breaks, and actually it's just Mikey surfing point breaks, and he's riding a pretty good variety of crafts. Like he transitions from a straight up pinned out standard shortboard to his twin pin in a way that is like incredibly seamless to me. Like it's pretty wild how you can go from two boards that are so different and look so good on both of them. Dane also wrote some words to accompany this, and. I found them really interesting. I mean, I think Dane does or makes something you have to just take it in. And he wrote some words to a company that said it. And he made a point about Mikey. Like, once you qualify for tour, obviously, it's like, it's like you can't really be questioned anymore almost. It's like, yeah, no, this guy qualified. Like, it's the highest, the best thing you could do other than win a world title. But, like, it's almost like the tour is just that one, like, benchmark, you know? But it kind of went from there into a question about whether or not he would have been better off chasing the QS for a bit or just doing the kind of free surf thing for a while. And I want your take on that. Like, you would have been better off just free surfing for a bit or were you on that? No, not at all. I mean, even if you look at the best and most famous free surfers of our time, like, you know, like a Dave Rostovich or something, like everybody grew up surfing in competition. Some people stopped earlier than others. But to get that little notch in your belt of getting all the way to the CT, like you said, it's like a sh- just an impenetrable shield. Like Can't get bad. You, no, at all. And you also have so long to be a free surfer. Like, Dane Reynolds was on tour for almost a decade. And, I mean, he's still going to keep free surfing, I would imagine, until his knees give out. But, um, yeah, it, it would absolutely have not done Mikey any good to not have that little period in his career. Um, one, for his surfing, like, I think it is important to learn kind of the, the fundamentals in that way and like just perfect those like perfect spray turns and whatever it is that you need to get to that level. And then you get to bring it back to boards that you actually want to ride, waves you actually want to surf, and the lines that you actually want to draw. But having that background just gives you such a better basis to achieve all those things. Totally, totally. And I think, it, I think you tell in his surfing, like even like you said, stab high before he was a judge, but... There's one morning where he stuck one of the better airs of the trip. It was like you could tell that when you when somebody has that background that they put so much into just doing what is the best thing they could do on a surfboard rather than like seeing what can look cool, and then they kind of fuse that with they fuse those two things. It's like it's incredible. Mikey Feb's incredible. The clip is incredible. Mikey Feb's got a kid on the way. He's in a great place in life. 
and uh, go watch it. I think Dan Reynolds made a stab exclusive Mikey Fever edit. Go watch it. What are you doing? Okay. The 21 most influential surfers of coincidentally 2021 so this is a three-part series that we've been rolling out on stab premium by the time you're hearing this all three pieces are already live go check them out this is a cool story and a cool way to look back on a great year in surfing and see who made a splash well i don't know what you're talking about eric logan had some great waves this year brendan (laughs) (laughs) you know eric logan's Sam McIntosh wrote this, uh, and it was my favorite one on there. Out of all 21, he was in equal parts like critical, but playful, but really respectful. It was it was a it was really well done, and um, kind of took some shots, but really at the same time elevated him and celebrated that decision of the world title showdown. Which I get that some people didn't like that, but I don't. I also kind of don't get how some people didn't like that. Like that was the most compelling day of surfing I've ever seen, and Eric Logan was behind that. Like he he drove that thing home. He he took that from the idea to like, no, we're doing it. And so just to be clear, this is a totally separate project that we're doing from Stab Surfer of the Year, which is truly about who were the best, most impressive surfers in 2021. The 21 most influential people of the year is literally people who had the biggest impact on surfing world and culture at large. So like Eric Logan, yeah, like you were saying, like he had a huge impact on surfing this year. He changed the entire way that world titles were won. So um, he made the list. Uh, Who were some of the others that kind of caught your eye? Well, you've got um, Fernando Aguirre, who could have been a world champion. Um, He got surfing into the Olympics. And in doing so, he he says he didn't surf. How many waves is it? Like forty two thousand. Eighty four thousand. He says eighty four. I thought it was forty two. Eighty four thousand waves. He says he didn't surf because what he's got his math. That's like if he catches six waves an hour, and it took him twenty seven years, and he did it all for free allegedly. Um, a lot of suspicions there, but uh, yeah, eighty four thousand waves. That's enough to win a like get good enough to win a title isn't it it have to be well yeah i mean you're over your ten thousand hours already so by definition you're a master and masters should be on tour as far as i'm concerned he could have been the master of surfing but instead he's just the guy who got surfing in the Olympics. still some influence there though still not the master but you know has a little sexual tinge to it doesn't it master um Influence. He got surfing in the Olympics. So he's he's on the list. He's probably another one that somebody look at and be like, oh, fuck, I want more like good surfers. But uh, he's on there. He's on there. Him and Elo hanging out. Well, would be good surfers if they weren't so busy keeping our sport alive. Oh, Elo never had a chance. All right, our next story. What do Sunset Beach, Mason Ho, and BBQ Plate Lunch all have in common? A few things. Uh, primarily they all collided one morning when they were vomited out of Mason's mouth uh, when he got a barrel at sunset but they also feature in episode 2 of the Vans pickup the sunset edition yeah so this is the first episode where there have actually been entries into the Vans triple crown of surfing 
it was not exactly the most hard-hitting week of waves until the very last day um, when Pipeline came alive and we got some pretty crazy submissions actually after the fact of us filming and releasing the entire episode, which is going to play in pretty heavily to, to Ep3. There's a bit of conspiracies going around that I'm, I'm going to have to cover in my bunker. But uh, yeah, again, you know, we had we had Pooh and Tosh in the news uh, news garden, which is growing day by day i think it's because of all this rain you probably hear in the background that the jungle's just flourishing well yeah as we all know it is a la nina year and that's um it's affecting the brazilian storm and yeah it was a it was a hard-hitting episode we got more on the way we got al cleveland jr in ep3 he was bleeding out of his face even though he's wearing his helmet so that was that was impressive that's coming up and and we have a breakout star on the north shore as well have you ever heard of john michael Van Hohenstein, a.k.a. Johnny the Ripper. John Joe Florence Van Ripper Hovenstein. He is technically leading the Triple Crown on the men's side. And he has not yet ridden aboard under nine feet. And I will uh, put an asterisk next to that. And he's not yet ridden a wave over three feet. So how do you uh, kind of, yeah, how do you figure this out in your mind? I mean, I guess we'll see with the swell forecast, but... My mind goes to Stephen Bradbury, that Australian speed skater who he won a gold medal in the Olympics because everybody else fell down, and it'll be, it could be John John Boy Gomez Van Hovenstein's year to do that. I mean, you don't know. He could paddle out at pipe on his freaking performance log and nab a bomb when it's 10 foot. Yeah, uh, maybe that'd be like a progressive craft thing i don't know yeah so what's what's the call on that really because this progressive craft rule by vans is the whole goal of it is to get surfers and shapers to think outside of the box on what the future of surfboards look like does the future of surfboards look like a 9-0 tri-fin longboard look i mean it could be john boy gomez van hoover stein's future um for me Maybe not. I think I'd probably steal one of those Aquila Ipas that we got in the quiver instead, but uh, hey. Yeah, or maybe one of the Greg Webbers that's going to appear in a future episode. We actually had young Harley Walters from Australia fly over with a couple of really interesting, technically finless boards, although you'll have to kind of see it to understand what I'm talking about, but it like kind of has fins. Um, that will also feature in a future episode of The Pickup. That thing just looks like a Batman surfboard to me. Yeah, it's kind of like a manta ray. Like when you think of like a manta ray cruising through the water, not when its wings are flat, but when it has that little bit of curve on them. It's like the board tucks over and it creates its own little thin lip thing. Well, you know what? Steve Irwin liked to surf and I don't want to imply anything, but maybe if he had that thing, things would have worked out different for him with the whole stingray thing. E-bikes to be banned from trestles wow 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 holy shit i mean this is this is like the apocalypse this is like you'll never forget where you were the moment that you learned that they're banning e-bikes at lower (laughs) trestles so these same people that are going to be enraged over the e-bikes they were walking down to lowers 10 years ago this isn't the end of the world is it oh it is absolutely the end of the world if you're a 13 year old kid with little chicken legs who's just out there in san clemente running over rescue pit bulls on your e-bike getting them banned but um why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us yeah so san clemente the the city council recently put out a poll to all of their constituents 
uh, just about how things are going. You know, how are things going around the town? <laughs> are there any potholes we should know about? Um, any creepy priests or anything going around? And um, people came back more than anything with 300 responses about e-bikes and how they are absolutely ruining the town. Uh, so basically right now, some people in the council are drafting potential laws that would outlaw e-bikes on beaches, on piers, and on park trails. So that basically means that that trail down to Lowers um, would be off limits. But the flip side, and I don't know how this has never been a thing, but this opens up a huge opportunity for a brand new market. Why does somebody not just do shuttles from where you park to the top of the hill at Barcelona and just drop people off $5 each direction? You'd make so much money. They should do... They should call them space shuttles. They could just all be Teslas, and you could take the space shuttle to Lowers. Or I guess you have to just walk like a poor person. Yeah, and I guess for people who maybe have never been to Lowers, so basically the situation is that the parking lot is about a mile and a half to two miles from like uppers and lowers where you would surf. And so your options are essentially to walk, which takes probably about a half hour in each direction, and it sucks. It's usually hot and sweaty. Uh, you can skateboard, which is really nice on the way down, but not great on the way back up. And you could formerly ride just like a push or pedal bike. Um, I don't. I think it sounds like those are still going to be allowed. And then the e-bike changed the entire thing, where basically everyone from San Clemente got an e-bike. And now they're not even like driving to the spot where you typically park. They're literally just riding them from their house. And door to door, they're like 10 minutes from their garage to the friggin' getting their toes in the cobblestone. So... It's completely changed the way that the whole wave operates, but it's made it an absolute shit show. Like you get down to the beach on a good day and there are no joke, a hundred e-bikes parked at the point. And then you're, if you are one of the people who happens to be walking down the trail, you're like constantly freaking flinging yourself against the side of a cliff so you can get out of people's way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a hassle, but on the flip side, like if I lived there, I would have for sure had one. Like there's no other way to do it. No. Now, have you ever ridden an e-bike? Oh, I see what you're doing here. You just want me to say the word rad wagon. Okay. Yes, Mikey, I, I rode a, I rode an e-bike. It was called a rad wagon. Um, I had it. It was at the stab office when I was there this past summer. I'd ride around, and all these like e-bike enthusiasts would stop me and be like, "Whoa, is that the new 4.7 rad wagon?" I was like, "I don't know. Like, I I really don't talk to me about this bike. I'm just trying to like go buy ice cream." And uh, there you win. I said it, Radwagon. But anyway, I hope I hope we get the space shuttles. I hope we get the space shuttles in San Clemente. And I am just gonna buy all these kids e-bikes on Craigslist and then petition for the law to get revoked and sell them all back. And uh, that'll be my new business. Fifty days of Kelly Slater. We touched on this last episode, but I wanted to bring it back up to the front of mind. For 50 days, we're going to give you an image of Kelly Slater on Sad Premium to give him a little 50th birthday party. And so we're just over a week into it now. We've already got some great stuff from Jimmy Kane, from Todd Glazer, from Dick Meserol. Um And we have so much more on the way. And it's been really fun. You get to see all these moments of Kelly and... And hear all these stories. I feel like everybody has like a a weird kind of Kelly 
memory or story, like just of a time that they saw him. And he probably has no idea because he's just lives his life every day and he's been doing it for 50 years, but you remember it forever. Cause it was Kelly. Um, I've got one, but do you? Ooh, like a personal Slater story. Yeah. Like a, like a Slater experience that you had. Well, I've thought about like this concept a lot, especially in regards to Slater and like just thinking about that story that Mitchell Shepard wrote on our site for last week, which was basically comparing Kelly to all those other great athletes. And he opens the story with this really funny anecdote about a lost iPod and Kelly just kind of like shrugging it off when, when Mitch tried to say like, Oh, you have to go here to find it. And Kelly's like, okay, sure. Whatever. Fucking, (laughs) you know what I mean? But Mitch remembered that. And like, Kelly Slater has had 50,000 of that same interaction with 50,000 different people. Like, of course he doesn't remember that. And that is like this crazy burden of fame where once you are that person and you're in that limelight, every single time that that any person has their first interaction with you, like they remember it like it was yesterday because it's like a big deal to them. And it's like, that means you have to be basically like the best person all the time to not get this terrible reputation. Because otherwise, like, I, I just imagine like any given day, like you could be in a bad mood or you could just like be like doing something else, you know, and somebody comes up to you and you don't give them the exact response that they want. And that's all they remember. And that's how you're painted in their mind for the rest of their lives. And it's like this, yeah, it's this really crazy thing. Um, that said, I did kick Kelly Slater in the face once. Oh my God. That took a turn at the end. You, you kicked him in the head, in the face. I think. I think I kicked him in the face. You you can feel when you kick a guy in, in the face. Like, you know. I, I kicked something in the face, and it, it felt so, something like Kelly's face. Was it, like, the, the top of the head? Where'd you get him? Yeah, yeah, but, like, maybe, like, side top of the head. Like, I don't think I, like, caught his nose or anything like that, or I, yeah. Uh, I think it was just, like, the temple zone. Like, it felt pretty hard. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, this, this actually all goes back to, to Lowers of all places. And um, as you know, pretty crowded lineup. Um, also, as you know, I like to kind of sit inside of people and maybe pick off the ones that they just can't get into. Or maybe I accidentally position myself just in front of them so they can't quite get into waves. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and Kelly's a really good paddler. So sometimes... He's all the way out the back, and you think there's no way he's going to catch it, so you just kind of start paddling in front of him, and then sometimes he gets a little further than you think he does, and then sometimes you you might accidentally kick him in the face when you just go to try to paddle into that wave. All right, w- what year are we talking here? Oh, this would have been no, no more recently than, like, 2011. Like, this was 10 years plus ago, for sure. Wow. <laughs> and, well, did you get the wave? I got the wave, yeah. That, it was in, thank God I got the wave because like what else what do you do after that I must have gone in after that wave as well because like you can't paddle back out after that assuming I did kick him in the face I, I'm pretty sure I kicked him in the face it could have been somebody else maybe but he was definitely the one who seemed to have a full head of steam coming into that wave okay so 2011 Kelly Slater hasn't won a world title since he kicked him in the head <laughs> uh, is that a surf sin does that count as my surf sin? <laughs> I mean, you're due to confess this episode. If, if you have something more sinister than that, then uh, I'll I'll hear it. But, I mean, you, you kicked Kelly in the head. He just he hasn't won a title since. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, Kelly. It really was an accident, I promise. 
Yeah, uh, Kelly's stories, I guess. Uh, you know, some people find iPods, some people kick them in the head. It's, it's the memories, it's the fun stuff. Yeah, you, you got one? Um, I do. I, it's, I don't think it's as good as yours, but I, I have one. Um, South Africa, sometime after you kicked him in the head, I was there covering the J-Bay comp. He was there not winning the J-Bay comp because he kicked him in the head. And it was a lay day, no swell really, and a bunch of people were going to like a shark cage diving thing like an hour, few hours away. And I said, sure, that sounds fun. Didn't really know who was all going, but it turns out Kelly was in the group, and I didn't really talk to him much. It was a big group, but um, when it came time to do like the dive, you know, people were kind of filtering in and out. We're all on boat together, but only a few in the cage at once. And um, I went in there with him. So there's only, yeah, maybe like three or four people at once in the cage, but I was technically locked in a cage with Kelly Slater. Did you kick him in the head? Honestly, uh, I I think I would remember it, but I guess I could have, like climbing in or out of a cage, like, you know, you got some leeway there, but I don't, I don't remember making contact, so... I don't think I kicked him in the head. What I do remember is that we all went to dinner after and um, it was like when like one of those Facebook games, like the farm one or like Candy Crush or something was like a thing. Maybe it's still a thing, but fuck it. Uh, he he was just playing that the whole time. Like he was just, we were at dinner and he just like couldn't put down the Candy Crush game. And in my mind that moment, I was like, wow, like he's such a competitor. He just, he just wants to win. Um, Either that or we were just really boring. I don't know. Maybe he wants to win. Maybe we were just shit dinner company. But uh, in my mind at the time, I was like, he wants to win, but he can't because he kicked him in the head. But anyway, Kelly stories, Kelly photos. We have got a bunch of them going up on Stab Premium. Go and check it out. We're going until his 50th birthday. Which is what day? That would be February 11th, and we've got plenty more coming, plenty of good stuff. And if you have a Kelly story, if um, if you found one of his electronics, or if you've been locked in a cage with him, sexually or otherwise, um, if you may have brushed his head with the foot, maybe at lowers, kicked him in the head, let us know. Uh, my email is in the show notes, so... Fire it over to me. Voice notes are always the best. And uh, let's hear it. All right. It is time for a surf sin. And the sinner is right in front of my face. It is you, Mikey Sierramella, the host of The Cusp, the joy rider, the joy wetsuiter, uh, the man who kicked Kelly Slater in the head. Yeah. And don't forget, I committed identity fraud no less than a week ago. Yeah, that was a sin too. Um, but to be fair, Danny and I, in a few of the episodes leading up, were encouraging um, identity theft. And it's Christmas, you know, it's that's what you do. You steal your buddy's identity, you get in their stat premium account, you do some bank stuff, you do fraud, you go to jail. It's fine. It's Christmas it's tradition. So you did steal his, but uh, that's okay. You're forgiven. And now let's hear what you got for a surf sin because. You're just like the rest of us. You're a sinner. You know it, and it's time to confess. All right, so I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I've obviously I've got so many surf since it's I can't even keep track. But I realized that 
perhaps like a lot of surf sins happen like a, in a singular instance, right? Like it's like you, you paddle around someone or you like the one guy that fucking said he was going in, catches the wave of the day and paddles back out. That's fucking insane. But that's still probably like, you probably never did that again, right? Like that was probably like a one-time thing. Um, and I've been thinking, you know, I got plenty of those, like just being an asshole or doing whatever. But I have one surf sin that I've been doing for a really long time. And it's just like this chronic thing that I just like, I can't not do. And it's, it's incredibly selfish. It's, uh, it's rude. It's wrong on many levels. And, but at the same time, it's like this really, really minor thing, but it's just, I don't know. It's the one thing that I could think it's like, yeah, like I'm just really such a fucking asshole for doing this. (laughs) Let me, let me preface this by saying that, and you, you probably already figured this out from hearing me talk for the past however many years but i am like the person who just is the most like weirdly over prepared for like every sort of activity like every time we go surfing in hawaii i have a fucking duffel bag that i bring with me (laughs) like i have everything in there i have from a fucking helmet in case we somehow end up at 10 foot pipeline i've got three different types of wetsuits i've got two pairs of board shorts i've got undershorts i've got uh, leash strings. I've got fin keys. I got fins. I got everything because I never want to be not prepared for any sort of situation that could come up. Right. But the, the problem with this is that when you become that guy, everybody knows that you're that guy. And then you become the person that they rely on to provide things when they don't have them. It gets fucking annoying, right? Cause it's every time it's like, Oh, do you have extra set of fins I can use? Do you have sunscreen? Do you have this? Do you have that? But the main culprit of course, is wax. Everybody needs wax pretty much every time they go out surfing. And when you go surfing, who do you ask for wax? Apparently fucking me. So I'm the person that people ask for wax all the time. And what I realized is that, and this, this only really started once I started using Foo. Um, Foo is like by far for me, I know you don't use Foo, but Foo for me is by far the best wax in the world. I don't really want to use anything else other than when I'm wearing booties because when you're wearing booties, it just feels like too much. So I keep a bar Foo and uh, with me at all times of multiple temperatures as well, just in case you never know if the water drops 10 degrees from the day before. Um, But with Foo, not only do I like keep it with me, but I, I wax it in a specific way, which is flat meaning that the bar, you're waxing it like long ways, like, and just kind of like how you would never use another bar of wax, basically. Like sex wax, you would always use the edge to like get nice, like good bumps and stuff. But foo, because <laughs> foo, because it's so sticky and kind of like brittle in this way, if you wax it like that, like it kind of just like falls apart and it just becomes sort of goopy on the board. Whereas you really just want a light dusting. So all you need to do is just get the wax flat and just kind of like super lightly rub it over the top coat of your board. And what happens is people who aren't accustomed to using foo, they grab a bar of foo and they just start like waxing it the other way. And it like ruins the bar. It makes it so that like it lasts way less long. And yeah, I just hate it. It just grinds my gears. So what I started doing is keeping a shitty bar of wax in my little wax container. So anytime that anybody asks me for wax, I like hide my little foo in this little, in this little side pocket and I give them the shitty bar of wax. So, like, technically I'm still providing, like, some sort of service to them, but in my heart of hearts, I know that I'm just being such a fucking asshole because I'm keeping this little golden bar to myself. Ooh, okay. I mean, that is is a level of calculation that I have yet to realize. Uh, But it does remind me, 
we have a series coming up on Sad Premium called Cheat Codes. Uh, it's basically like surf tips from the world's best surfers, but in a way that doesn't make you want to rip your hair out because you're so bored. Um, that's coming soon. But when we were in Stab High, Costa Rica, I was talking to Ian Crane trying to get some of his cheat codes, and he said that he does this thing. It's kind of similar. He, When he gets a bar of foo and he's on a surf trip, he immediately slices it into quarters. Uh, he likes to rub it on that way anyway, but he also has this theory that like, if you have like a nice big bar of wax, somebody will just tax it. They're going to be like, oh, this guy's got plenty of wax. Like, I'm going to uh, – no worries. Whereas if you have that little dinky corner, somebody's kind of like, uh, I'm not really sure. So that's his way of kind of disguising it and and saving his wax a bit. We're literally like drug addicts. Like what you're talking about is basically like what a drug addict would do. Oh, no, that that is absolutely just addict behavior. That's you guys have a problem. Um but you have another problem in that you sinned. That's a surf sin, and it's a difficult one to make sense out of. Because you're giving them something. Like so many surf sins is just like you clearly did something wrong, took something away from somebody whether it's a wave or just like messed their day up somehow. Maybe you sexually assaulted a Russian man in the water like that one guy. Um, but with this, you, you still added value to their lives. Like if I'm, if I'm your friend, I show up to the beach and I don't have any wax and you still give me what I need to go surf. Like I'm fucking happy for you. Happy you exist. Happy for your life. Happy birthday. But, um, yeah, it's a sin. It's a sin because you know that you're hiding the good stuff. Um, what's coming to mind is like, you know how people sometimes say like, can I borrow some wax? And it's, it's pretty fucking stupid because nobody, you don't borrow wax. So you never give it back. You just you rub it on and then that's it. That's the end of the exchange. I think that you just lent these people the wax, the backup wax. So what you're going to need to do is your penance is you're going to have to clean their boards off. You're going to have to strip your friends nude um, and you're going to have to clean their boards off, the people that you've done this most to. Okay. I have, I have an important question. Uh, can I wait for a sunny day? Yeah, yeah, I think you could wait for a sunny day. I think what's more important is that you wait for like a, like a good time in that like their board is fucked. Like there's just like a glob of wax on there. There's no good bumps. It's weighing down the board. Like you need to give it to a friend in need. Okay, but I don't have to, I don't have to reapply. Um, no, you you don't have to do that. I mean, it's, it's their board, their body, their choice. They could be anti-wax and you don't want to, you can't force that upon their sacred temple. Um, but no, just when you see your friend in need, who's just got the fucked up wax job, you, you got to get in there and you got to get your cursed wax off there and you got to think about what you've done and, um, provide them that service as well. All right. I think that's fair. And above all else, it just feels good to get it off my chest. Does that mean I have to stop doing it, though? Well, you've done something that I've never been able to do in my life, which is get foo wax off my chest. But um, you don't you don't have to stop because if you stop, then when we show up to surf tomorrow and I'll have wax, then you probably won't have a little nub for me. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, your friends will appreciate the nice, clean boards that they have because taking wax off your board is just so annoying. And who just stop with that? That's actually one thing that I'm lacking in my kit is like a good 
wax comb. I have a shitty one and it like hurts my hands so bad every time I have to take my wax off because like the side that you have to hold, it's just not ergonomic. So I think I need to invest in a good wax comb. That is fucking wild that you have that like massive bag and somehow there's not a wax comb in there. So yeah, you, you need one in there and then throw Taj Burrow's book of hot surfing in there too, because you never know when you want to figure out how to do a carving 360. Anyway, thank you, Mikey for the surfs in that was, it's pretty psychotic. Um, not surprising altogether, but uh, psychotic nonetheless. And if you have a surf in, if you do the wax thing to your friends or if you got something else, let us know. Let us know. My email is in the show notes. Danny's email is in the show notes. Send us your sin. You're bad people. All of you. You're terrible. Um, and you know it. And you need to heal. You need to repent. You need a penance. So send us your sin. Um, we've got... I want to thank everybody who has reached out. Um, we have a good base and we have a, a bunch to get through. And I promise we will get to every single sin because you guys have initiated your healing journey and we we're going to take you there. And so thank you. They're coming, but give us more because you're bad people. And thank you for listening. All right. Well, you've, uh, you've heard me, you've seen me. I've, I've bared all for you guys. And now I have a penance to make up. Um, so Buck, thank you for that. I'm not looking forward to it, but, um, what has to be done has to be done. So, I'm going to get on that as soon as possible, and for the time being, I'm going to go and chat now with Sam McIntosh about the Stab Surfer of the Year project, which is something that we're rolling out right now on StabMag.com, and you can see if you are a premium member, but essentially it's 50 of the most influential voices in surfing picking their favorite surfers from 2021, and we're going to get into the origins and the future of this project right now. Sam McIntosh, welcome to the show. Um, so Sam, we're here to talk mainly about um, a property that we've been doing for the past three years now, and we're bringing out again uh, starting this week, and that is Stab Surfer of the Year. So can you give me a little rundown of what made you want to start this project? Yeah, there's a few reasons to it. Uh, what was it? Back in, so we'd always talked about doing these things over the years, like we used to do these Stab, stab Awards, and we used to give the jewelry away. And then Ashton wanted to really do the Thrasher style surf of the year. So where you go and anoint someone, someone from our staff goes and makes the call on who the best surfer in the world is. And I just didn't really feel like that any of us had that Jake Phelps weight. And it just, it felt a little bit odd just go and say, okay, this is a surf of the year based on someone we think. And so we talked about it for a long time and we sort of ummed and out about it. And then I think we're at the 2018 Surfer Pole Awards in Hawaii and Surfer put on a really great show it's where they go and put the top 10 male surfers top 10 female surfers and it's all user voted so it's just the it's just the surfer audience and so watching that and it was just sort of it was just really struck us as being odd so there and then like Alana Blanchard won the best surfer of the year she's a great surfer but obviously she's got I don't know collectively three or four million followers on social media so it's really easy to go and turn your audience to make you the number one surfer in the world. So she beat, she was first, Bethany was second, and then she's beating Steph and Carissa. And so that was a little bit odd, but then it came to the men. And so the, the 10th best surfer in 2018, according to the Surfer Pole Awards, was like Andy Irons. 
it was like cool he hasn't obviously hasn't surfed in nine years or whatever eight years uh and that was super odd and then jack freestone got second he was runner up to john john and then like jack got the award alana got the award and they were just uneasy with that and we're just watching going this is just odd and we'd always talked about like back in 2008 we did this feature with dane it says dane fucking reynolds is the best surfer in the world on this date and uh was received really well and elliot struck did a feature talking about the best surfer in the year for the past 20 years and a lot, a lot of the times he he polled a bunch of really high high profile sort of influential people and a lot of the time it lined up with the world champ a lot of times it didn't and so we liked the idea of having a platform where we could interview 50 most influential voices in surfing have them give their opinion and um sort of shine a light on people who wouldn't come through like there's only so many awards every year there's the world champ the rookie of the year i guess the big wave world champ there's not that many platforms anymore so we sort of wanted to create another platform and just to remind everybody that's listening to this basically what we do is we go out to 50 what we call influential voices in surfing so that ranges from the best surfers in the world like john florence kelly slater steph gilmore and then we also get the opinions of people from inside the industry who watch a ton of surfing and who would have a really keen eye. Somebody like a Ryan Miller or maybe a Ronnie Blakey, Pete Mel, Jimmy Wilson, those kind of guys along with the best servers in the world, like the the Johns, the Gabriels, the Stephs, the Carissas. And you just put those guys all together. And so who decides who these 50 people are? It's sort of random on surface we like and surface whose opinion we, we trust. And yeah, it, there's, there's no real science to that. We just try to have a good cross-section of world tour surfers, surfers who don't surf in contests, big wave guys. Like just you want to make sure there's just a, a decent cross-section because like world tour surfers tend to choose only world tour surfers. And... What we've learned this year, like, so people are way more thoughtful and measured in their responses now because they know what it is. The first few years, they were a bit more flippant with it. But so someone like a Wade Goodall, he chose Mason, he's number one surfer. He, goes, he sort of listed his surfers and said, hey, I don't, I don't know any of these guys, but here's who impressed me this year. And uh, when people are really considered about it, that's when this thing really works, I think. And in your eyes, is this project a failure if the two world champions walk away as the stab surfers of the year? No. I just think, like, this is sort of... Because you've got every surfer only has the opportunity to have five nominees, even just getting a mention, I think, is a really big deal. Like, the first year we did it, uh, Nathan Florence had a really big year. Nathan Florence, Billy Kemper, uh, Laurie Towner as well, when Laurie did that stuff in Fiji. And it was just really cool to see these guys in the same conversation as Gabe and Italo and then these other names spliced in. And I think that's like the fact that Nathan Florence, I think he was in the top three, right? To, like he might've finished in the top three. I think that's just a really good snapshot of that year and a snapshot of that, of that moment and that period. And without it, that wouldn't really exist. So even if a surfer gets two nominations, it's a pretty big deal. And when you look at it, like a guy like say Jai Glinderman, he was the number one surfer last year. And then this year he did a his new deal with Billabong, a six-figure deal. Would that deal have been that good without the Surfer of the Year poll? Of like for Winnie? I don't think it would be. And like it's just, 
I th- just the ability to have this sort of apples and oranges guys together like on the same platform and being judged against one another I don't know it, it just feels like it's the right thing to do because it is the same sport but they're just they just live in these sort of different silos but you just put them all in together and they're kind of judged against one another and it's sort of like a time capsule of that year's performance yeah it is pretty interesting too how it plays out like especially in the big wave side of things um, I think that first year, Twiggy ranked really high, and most people just referenced that one wave that he caught at Jaws. And this year, we're seeing some votes for Peter Mel trickle in, which you'd have to think was the result of that wave he surfed at Mavericks earlier this year. How do you think about that, like basically one wave determining somebody's relative rank within the surfing zeitgeist of a current year? I think it's perfect polling. I think it's, the, it's so important that they're there. Like that wave that Twiggy knifed at Jaws, he didn't make. We sort of made it out like that's just not one wave that's like a lifetime to get to that point and you can go out in dozens and dozens of huge surf and you don't get that wave and you know what it's like like those there might be one good wave that day or one good wave that year or so for that person to go to be in that spot to attract that swell to have built up that muscle to be able to get into that wave and know what to do i think it's absolutely important that, that is the they are a surfer of the year for that moment because it's not just that one wave it's their whole life that's really built to that point like how long did it take pete mel to catch that wave like 30 years 30 plus years and he knew what he's looking for he knew what he wanted the day happened he went and sat deeper story behind that wave is incredible and like the same it's very similar with twiggy it's very similar with what laura towner did at cloud break that year it's um it's not just that one wave it's that laddering up to that moment i think so i love that i love seeing those big wave guys coming alongside like Italo and Gabriel. Yeah, and then on the flip side, you already mentioned uh, Jai Glinneman winning junior of the year last year. Um, I was actually surprised to learn that he's still a junior this year. He, he's massive, but he's still 17. Um, but then we also opened up this year a whole new category for junior women. Um, nor- last year, the junior girls were just lumped in. It was just a juniors category, like unisex. Um, but this year, they have their own category. And what I found is interesting is that not only are we obviously getting votes for them in that category, but also in the women. Like, we've seen a lot of Katie Simmers and Aaron Brooks and even Sierra Kerrs voted into, like, the, the women of the year category. So how do you think that all plays out? What's interesting about this year is the fact that the women are in there, right? Like, so the juniors are all in the top five of the women, so the, the sort of the female junior division is really defunct because it's just going to be the highest place in the women. They will definitely be in the top five. So have you seen that when you're doing them, when you ask surface for the best junior female, they just bang straight on, they got the answer. But then you ask who the best junior male is and everyone just kind of goes blank. And like, I don't know, I don't know any good young juniors. Like Dane didn't make a vote because I don't know anyone. Um... But Jai Glenderman obviously will do well, but that's the biggest difference. Everyone is really following the careers of these young women. Yeah, I think there's, um, I mean, we, we kind of see it in other sports as well. I mean, Sky Brown is obviously a surfer, but her main sport, you could say, is skateboarding. And she was in the Olympics this year um, and she did pretty well. And there is just something about like these young girls tend to like, hit their stride a bit younger and are doing things that are like as good as or on a similar level to women at like the top of the sport at a young age and do you think that kind of plays into it for sure and we we saw this what year was it 2019 when we did the ladybirds the first one in texas 
Like we were scared that the young girls wouldn't be able to, like they were 13 and under. We were scared that they wouldn't get out of the water to do airs in Waco. We were hoping they would, but we really weren't sure. And like we, you remember, we, you remember over we there, like there was way more energy around the, the, the ladybirds division than there was the men's. And then all of the men's were, all the men were standing on the back of the wall and losing it about the women's final. And then there was a surf off. And yeah, there's just a, I guess there's just gigantic leaps forward for those young girls. And those jumps sort of aren't made with the young men at the moment. And so, yeah, it's super compelling. Because, um, yeah, what the surfing they're doing is incredible. And they're just, they are redefining what women can do on, on surfboards. Yeah, and we just saw two more 16-year-olds qualify for the CT this year on the women's side, Katie Simmers and Betty Lucicara Johnson, and a couple other teenagers in that group as well. So, yeah, just the youth seems to really be exploding in that particular sector. Um, and one other really big thing that we're doing this year is we're, we've, we've gone back and forth internally about this a lot. We're trying to separate create some delineation between what is a surf edit and what is a surf film. So this year we do have two different categories. Can you kind of explain in your words what they are and how they're separate from each other? Yeah, it's simple because uh, it's your, it's, this, is, this is the theory you came up with and it's 80% one surfer is an edit and then it's less than that, it becomes a film. And when you explain it to people, most people understand it pretty, pretty quickly. And yeah, that, that was all your ruling. That's what you thought. Well, but there's there's a time aspect as well, right? Because you can, I mean, Jamie, like, if you look at some of Jamie O'Brien's old movies, like, the, you'd say those are films, and they're 80% him, for sure. So there's got to be some sort of also, like, quantitative, like, chronological thing, and then maybe even, like, a quality aspect to a certain degree, like, just the amount of time and thought and maybe narrative that goes into a film versus an edit feels more like just a, a solo art piece. Yeah, it is a little bit blurry, that line. I think I wanted to go 18 minutes, you wanted to go 15. I just think, like, the soft serve by Kale Walsh, that's an edit, I think. The one that Jacob Wilcox did, I think by default it was called, that's an edit. I think Dark Hollow is an edit. It's, um, yeah, the Jamie O'Brien film, which is probably more than 10 years old. Now, that, would, that, would, that one becomes a film. But it is, it's tricky. But I think once you set those parameters, then it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And I think our main reason for wanting to set these parameters now is because we're really using this year as a ramp up for the 2022 iteration of STAB Edit of the Year, which we're ultimately giving away a Bitcoin to the best edit of 2022. So do you want to kind of go into that a little bit and kind of what we're looking for in there? It's super exciting to try to like, we, what we want to do is just have just the right incentive so people put time into edits because we felt like edits was a bit of a dying art you get a good wave you have a good session typically just chop that up and put on instagram but we're like okay how do we create the space or like the carrot to make sure that there's people put time into these edits because we we feel like it's a hallmark of the culture like the surf edit and so yeah we wanted to set we wanted to we wanted to do something that was like i don't know kind of like typifies what our audience are into at the moment. You know what it's like if we do a story about Bitcoin, it goes crazy. People are interested in it, so we bought one, and it could be worth $3,000 when this thing comes out. It could be worth 100000 but it just gave it 
an extra sort of talking point, really. And can you give us a little breakdown again, just of how uh, we're going to basically be determining which edit becomes the stab editor of the year? Is it going to be just based on these 50 people voting, or how does the whole qualification process work? Every quarter, we're going to have three films that make the final. So we're going to put this out to our stab premium audience. And stab premium audience, like if you go and see the scoring they do for Surf 100, if you see the back and forth that we have with that audience, they are really attuned to what good surfing is. They're like, it's a really amazing sample size of, um, of credibility. Really, it's hard to it's hard to articulate that. But um, so we're gonna have we're gonna send out these are the edits for this first quarter. The top three will make it into the final. So that will be twelve films because the, the the four quarters three per quarter. That's twelve films. And then we will have three stab wildcard spots that we will choose, films that we think might have been wrongly excluded, and we'll slot those in. And then the we, we made 70 films with stab this past year. And then so no stab film can be in the edit of the year. So that's what we're, we're pulling those out. And then also when we've been doing the surf of the year polls uh, for this year where we have best edit and best film, we've clipped all stab films. So they don't be they're not included. However, Dane put the Pete Melf film as uh, his favorite film for the year. So we included that one, but um, for the most part, we're trying to clip it. And what's the reasoning for making this like stab edit of the year versus stab film of the year? Because a film is a lot more work, multiple surfers, you need a filmmaker to pull this together. But we feel like a motivated surfer can make an edit. They can, they shoot most sessions, they can collect the footage on the beach, they can put it together. They can make the thing an iMovie. We don't really... Like a surf edit doesn't need really high production values. So that's why we just want to encourage just the very best surfing collected in one part. So yeah, Stab Surfer of the Year 2021 is going to be rolling out over the next uh, 10 days or so. And Sam, I know you did a lot of these interviews yourself. Um, Is there like one or two that stood out to you? It's just always surprising. Every single person you interview... Because the first year we did it, like we, people didn't really understand what we we're doing, and we had to sort of ambush people. Remember, we like we woke up from the Surfer Pole Awards, like okay, we got to get fifty of these names, and then we went and like, I went to the Billabong House where Italo was staying, and I'd stayed there in the past, and there was like, it was Andy, Taj, Joel, they're the ones who were in this house. And you go around there, and there's just all these new faces, like the Brazilian Storm were there and didn't know a single person and like had to keep ambushing Italo in the top room and say, knock on the door. And then his masseuse would come out and say, come back in an hour, come back in an hour, just waiting downstairs for like three hours. And so it was so much work to just extract that one quality. Like you want to get the best surfers to make this thing the most credible you can. And like it was the year, the first year was super uncomfortable, like going to the Ruka house for the Wave Warriors shoot and just perching up amongst that and interviewing like, 10 or 12 people on the spot. And so now it's becoming a little bit easier. People know what it is. They give measured responses. They know what you're coming for. And so it's it's way more fun now because everyone's sort of ready to go once you ask the questions. But the most surprising parts would be just seeing, like I, I just love seeing people like Mason make the list. He hasn't surfed any World Tour events this year. People love him and... That's what makes these things special. Pete Mel getting some votes. The Ladybirds getting up there in the top five females is really cool. And then just seeing different films that connected with people. That's um, 
yeah, you know what's like truth is always stranger than fiction. Like it's just it's super interesting all of these answers coming in and seeing them collated. And obviously Gabe does well, Italo does well, John does well, but there's a bunch of other names in there that are super unexpected. I was pretty uh, shocked to learn that Dane Reynolds watched The Ultimate Surfer. Yeah, he gave Tia Blanco a vote. But like, do you know, you never know whether Dane is being obtuse. <laughs> I don't know. She was kind of ripping in The Ultimate Surfer. I don't think he'd say that ironically. Yeah, very true. Actually, he does He's very uh, candid with most things. So yeah, who knows? Yeah, but she got to start. Uh, what else has been surprising in the results you've been seeing? Yeah, I was pretty surprised, as you were, I think, to see that Benji Brand was getting so many votes because he is, he's been unsponsored for so long and he had a really, really good part in that Snapped 4 film, but it was overlooked even by the judges, that being Mick, Bobby, and Taj, and he didn't even really get into like the top five or whatever. Um, he did win the best barrel. We voted him into that, so he got 10 grand for that, so that was good. But to see like a lot of his peers basically giving him props like ian crane was like i you know benji does not get anywhere near the adulation that he deserves like i wish i had the balls to surf waves like he does because and i surfed with benji in costa rica last year and that swell that they got for snap four and the waves he was going on everybody else was like scrambling for the horizon and he would just sit there and turn at the last second just stroke in and fall into them and it just looked so easy for him and yeah it, he's a he's a special special breed of surfer yeah, that's what makes these things special, I think, when you have these guys going alongside the World Tour guys. And there's that time capture of the year of Benji Brand was... Even if you end up, if he ends up being the 7th or 12th, it's still a huge accolade because they don't have that platform to perform on. They've got to make so much noise to get in that conversation. And then they can bring that. Like, that's a statistical piece of, like, real data that they can bring to potential brands, right, and use it as a leverage point, maybe like Jai Glindeman did last year when he was negotiating his billabong contract. For sure. Yeah, 100%. And then you got, like, it's not just the vote, it's the rationale behind it. And everyone's talking about Jai being sort of like a throwback classic. And uh, it's just hard to ignore that stuff. Like, what other kid gets those accolades or gets these people discussing them? Like, the best surface in the world or the most influential surface in the world discussing what makes these people special. That's a pretty big bargaining chip. Yeah, and I can't imagine for someone like Katie Simmers, who she's said for years that, you know, her favorite surfers are Dane and Steph, and those are the two surfers that, like, are pumping her up the most in these things. You know what I mean? Like, that's got to feel insane. Yeah, that's one of the best parts about it. Um, it, it sort of would be, it would be sad if it was, like, we did this thing, it was, like, the top five WSL surfers and the men and women's. Like, it is good that you have that cross-section of different people. All right. Well, thank you for your insights, Sam. Um, I'm going to look forward to keeping an eye on these Stab Surfer of the Year posts. They come out daily, and there's a live leaderboard at the bottom of each website feature, so you can keep track of kind of who's in the lead. And, yeah, I don't know if we're going to have a bit of a runaway this year. I think it's going to be maybe pretty hard to beat a certain person who won both a world title and an Olympic gold medal um this year but we will see how it all pans out over the next week oh the female side yeah that's hard but what about the men's who's gonna win the men's you think because you have the different world champ yet to the the olympic gold yeah there's a lot going on on that side for sure and then the juniors is its own thing that is going to be like a really weird one to to calculate because as you said there's so many ladybirds getting votes in the women's category so we'll see how it plays out 
thank you so much to Sam for coming on and explaining a little bit more about the Stab Surf of the Year project. Again, you can check that out on our website, stabmag.com, to see who's voting for whom. It's a bit like the uh, high school superlatives, but even if it is a bit of a popularity contest, I think typically the, the right surfers come out on top. So... Uh, looking forward to see who that is in 2021 and yeah thanks to buck for my penance i'm not exactly looking forward to it but i do think i'll be a better person on the other side so that's it for this week on the drop next week i believe danny will be back i'm sure you'll all be happy to hear that but until next time this has been the drop